just let God's word speak for itself. They say that Psalm 32 was sang on the day of atonement. This was a day we know when the high priest alone could enter the most holy place and offer the sacrifices which would atone for the sins of the Israelites. And as we look at Psalm 32 this morning, as a Christian, we can say that true happiness, true happiness exists in the favor of God and the spiritual blessings which he pours upon us. So sad today when you watch the, the media and see people and they, they, they think they have a happiness, but it fades away. It's all broken cisterns, but we will see that in God, true happiness alone exists. You go to the first slide for me there. So in this psalm, David reminds us of gospel grace. It reminds us of gospel grace. It reminds us, therefore, that salvation is from God and because of his love for us. He reminds us of divine protection. It's a wonderful thing to know that we have divine protection. Now, you might ask, well, people are getting hurt and people are getting injured and people are getting this and that, but you know something? The hand of God is upon them. And even those that go through the most difficult of situations, they testify to the goodness of God. Just read a book recently uh, of a guy uh, somewhere in Asia, arrested, tortured, and beaten. And he talked about God being with him and how God brought him through. And he said, I would not have survived. And he meant he would not be alive if it hadn't have been for God's protection. It reminds us of gospel duty. What do we mean by that? Well, gospel duty means that uh, we are to confess the gospel to others. We are to pray and we are to govern ourselves as children of God. And mostly it, re it reminds us that when we think of all these things, it reminds us to rejoice in God. We are to rejoice in the Lord we can say this is the Lord, this is the day that the Lord hath made. We will be sad and complain in it. That's not what the psalmist said. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the Lord's day. We today are meant to be, we are rejoicing and we are glad to be here. We're not here, uh, well, we, we are here at a duty, but we're here because we want to be here. We're here because we want to praise God. And why do we want to praise God? Because God inhabits our praises. And all the cares and all the woes of the weak just seem to fade away in the presence of the Lord as we rejoice in him. So let's read Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. You know, that verse alone is enough to rejoice over, isn't it? Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. While I kept silence, my bones whacked old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgivest the iniquity of my sin. You know, we do look forgiveness from other people as we should do. But you know the one we have to seek forgiveness from? 
That's Almighty God. And David acknowledges he confesses his sin to God because he sinned against God. When we sin, we sin against God. We might hurt others, we might fail others, but we sin against God. And David tells us to confess our sins before him. Verse 6, for this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt come past me about with songs of deliverance. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose, whose mouth must be held in with bit and brittle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous. Shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Shout for joy. You know, I've been to many of football matches and I haven't seen the fans going, come on, lads, come on. They're screaming at the top of their voice. Just watching the Larne fans yesterday and well done to Larne. They were ecstatic, shouting and yelling and I thought to myself, oh, that we would do that in the house of the Lord it's with such joy. So what about this psalm? Let's look at it. David shows us the nature of the pardon of sin. What is it? It is the forgiving of transgressions. You see, sin we know is a transgression of the law. And because we have repented, our transgressions have been forgiven. We're not like that individual I spoke about at the table. We know we are forgiven. Sometimes we can't understand it, but we are forgiven. And that is a fact, and, and maybe some of us need to let go of things that we feel bad about that we've done in the past. We need to understand, stop listening to the old carnal man, stop listening to the devil. You are forgiven this morning. You are forgiven this morning. Your sins are wiped clean, wiped away. And this, therefore, because we are forgiven, the obligation to punishment which we once lay under is canceled. Why? Because he bore it on the cross. Our punishment for sin was bore by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sin, although they don't know it, it is a burden to the unbeliever. They have no need to bear this. Sin makes people weak as they labor in this world, as they, as they try to find some sort of peace, as they try to find some sort of truth, as they try to find some sort of reality. All they need to do is turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus calls them. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Note what he said there. He didn't say, come unto me, all my people. It doesn't say, come unto me, all those who have been forgiven. It says, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, everyone, every man, woman, and child can turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what their nationality, no matter what the color of their skin, we can all turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will give us rest. And sadly, a lot of people won't do this. They hold on to their sins. And we can testify to them this morning that Jesus has eased or relieved us of our burden. 
It's been left. It's been wiped clean. He took upon himself our sins. And he's given us rest. And he's given us eternal peace in him. So it is the forgiving, forgiving of transgressions. It is the covering of sin. You know, his nakedness is covered to hide our shame. So Jesus clothed us with his righteousness. Jesus clothed us with his righteousness. You know, David, the psalmist here, he tried to hide his sin with the Sheba. But when Nathan came in, and you know the wonderful thing I respect about Nathan, Nathan didn't go about telling everybody. And let's be practical here. Everybody knew when she creeped in and out of the palace, the servants seen it. It was the talk of the palace. But David thought it had been hidden. But when Nathan revealed unto him what he'd done, he was ashamed. He was naked before God. And our sins are covered. Let's say nakedness is, uh, is covered to hide our shame, but Jesus hath clothed us, clothed us with his righteousness. Revelation 3, verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thy mayest be rich and white remnant, that thy mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Go back to Adam and Eve. What did God ask them? Who told you you were naked? You see, their eyes were opened. And we pray that God opens the eyes of the unbelievers that they might see their nakedness, that their sin might be revealed unto them. Revelation 3 and 5. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Do you remember the song the choir sang? The world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. I always think of that song when I read Revelation 3 and 5. I will not blot out his name. This is the Lord talking out of the book of life. Others may tell you, you're not saved because you don't belong to their denomination. I remember someone telling me that churches of God are saved by the skin of their teeth. And I said, well, if that's the respect you had for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm afraid you're wrong because his blood covers all our sins. Amen. I'm not saved because I'm a member of churches of God. And down the road, they're not saved because they're Presbyterians. We're saved because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved because of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's that famous old humorous story about the guy who dies. And it is a story. He goes to heaven. And they're being shown around heaven by Peter. And they pass this house. And Peter says, whatever you do, be quiet. Tiptoe past this house. He didn't understand, but he tiptoed past the house. When they got past the house, curiosity was killing him. And he says, I've got to ask you, why on earth had we to tiptoe past that house and not make any noise? And he says, they think that they're the only ones up here, but don't want to sadden them. You know something? Jesus is our Savior. And he will not take our name out of the book of life. He will clothe us with white, white remnant. It's also not the imputing of iniquity. And I love this. Another uh, translation said, or not laying it to the sinner's charge. 
This non-imputation of sin is called the imputation of righteousness without works. The righteousness, righteousness of Christ being imputed to us and we being made the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that wonderful? The righteousness of God in him. You know, it's very simply illustrated and if I was wearing a coat, Jesus took my coat off and clothed me with his coat. He has taken my sins away and he hath clothed me with his righteousness. And therefore, our sins are not imputed on us. Our iniquity is not imputed on us. Isaiah 53, verse 6, that wonderful messianic prophecy from Isaiah. He says, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Think of it this morning, and I think he's worthy of our praise when we truly understand what Isaiah the prophet tells us will happen. Our iniquity is laid on him. The innocent was slain for the victory. Uh, the innocent was slain for the guilty. The victory was won through Christ and through Christ alone. You know, impute means righteousness or guilt taken by someone else on behalf of others. He takes our sin on behalf of us and clothes us with his righteousness by vicarious substitution. Wonderful word that. It means performed or suffered by one person as a substitute for another to the benefit or advantage of another. To the benefit and advantage of another. What a benefit we have this morning that he took our sins and that he has clothed us and he has made us free from our sins. There is nothing charged to our account. Nothing. It's wiped clean. It's wiped clean. It's Telling you was talking to a man from the bank, explaining how they charge us. But you know something, we'll not be charged with any sins because he has paid the price. Thank God there's no interest. It's been paid in full by the Lord Jesus Christ. In layman's terms, I read this in, I think it was a youth Bible we have lying in our house. We can praise the Lord because our iniquities and our sins were put on Jesus. You know, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. That's so simple. And yet so true. We can praise the Lord because our iniquities, our sins were put on Jesus. And you know something? His righteousness was put on us this morning. Then David goes on to tell us concerning the character of those whose sins are pardoned. In Psalm 32, verse 2, it says, A man in whose spirit there is no guile. Forgive me, I'm very dry this morning. Now it says there's no guile. It doesn't say there's no guilt. For there's no one save Christ who lived and sinned not. He alone was the only in his humanity man that ever lived and sinned not. What it does say is there's no guile. There's no deceit. There's no treachery. No longer as a pardoned sinner would we try and deceive God with our claims of self-righteousness and hypocritical good works. God knows our intentions. God knows a penitent heart or he knows those in whom there is spirit, there is no guile. And it's a wonderful thing to know. God knows our heart. God knows our genuineness. It's good to do good works, but good works, to, uh, salvation produces good works. Good works don't produce salvation. And when we acknowledge that we are sinners, 
You know, I've I've talked to people and they've told me they've never cursed, never drank, never did this, never did that. And it's hard, they're harder, to be honest, to try and explain what sinnership is. Because they're depending on their own self-righteousness. Remember a guy I worked with and got very angry as we discussed the subject of being a sinner. And him and his grandfather and his father's father and generations all went to this church. And you know, sometimes we can fall into that self-righteousness. I'm a good person. Have you ever witnessed anyone to tell you that? I'm a good person and he's a God of love will accept me. You are a good person, but you fall short of the glory of God. I've said this many times, explained the word sin. It means falling short of the target. And that's what it is. And whenever you realize this, then it is good to work hard for the Lord, but it doesn't earn your salvation. But it shows the Lord your appreciation of all that he has done for you. He knows our intentions. He knows our heart is penitent. And he knows there is no guile. He said, while I kept silence, my bones waxed old. You know, there are those who keep silent and stifle their convictions. Who, when their sins and the danger of them being in sin are revealed unto them, they ease their conscience by trying not to think of them or trying to deny them. They divert their minds to something else, groaning and complaining instead of confessing. Again, this results in both physical and emotional repercussions. They pine away rather than accepting God's salvation plan, which can bring them peace, joy, and rest for their souls. You know, one of the most common things, as I've spoke to people and tried to witness, they try to tell you that the Bible is inaccurate. I mean, you talk to someone who hasn't a clue about the Bible, it's really hard to explain. But you know something, what you do say to them is that's an excuse. Because they're saying it's so inaccurate, then do you really need to be saved and all this nonsense? Rather than accepting God's salvation plan and, and letting God open their eyes with Satan not blinded, they will see that God word, God's word is yea and amen. And they need a savior. You see, concerning the true and only way uh, to peace of mind is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we are taught to confess our sins that we might be forgiven, then we are taught to declare them that we may now show that we are justified You know, David took this action, as I pointed out, uh, Psalm 32, verse 5. I acknowledge my sin unto thee. Mine iniquity have I not hid. You know something? You're wasting your time if you think you're hiding a sin from the Lord. Because David did try it, and he found out he couldn't. We've got to confess to the Lord Jesus Christ. Got to get it off our chest and find peace. I remember speaking to a man who was asked to visit in the hospital and he wanted to confess his sins to me and I had to say to him, look, forgiveness comes from the Lord Jesus Christ and all you need to do is turn to him. He knows your sins and all you have to say is forgive me, Lord, for I have sinned. Nothing's hidden from the Lord. Don't be like the foolish Achan. He tried to hide his sin and his whole family perished. And what David does show us when we do repent of our sin is that God is ready to pardon those who truly repent. Again, Psalm 32 and 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, 
and thou forgivest the iniquity of my sin. You know, David tells us that everyone who is godly shall pray unto God, especially if they have made a mistake, they have tripped. We will call upon the name of the Lord. The old saying is godly people are praying people. Just let me divert here because when I was looking for a verse for the table this morning, I came up across this verse in Romans 8, verse 26. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And I thought that was amazing this morning when I came across it. God's people are praying people. And sometimes when we've maybe made a mistake or tripped, or even maybe those that feel they're not worthy to come to God, they don't know what to say. But you know Romans 8, 26, God prays for us. Or sometimes when you're praying, you just need to be quiet and let the Spirit lead and let the Spirit guide you. He intercedes for us with groanings, Paul said, words that cannot be uttered, words that cannot be understood. God helps us in our prayers when we truly turn to him. As soon as uh, Paul was converted, in fact, in Acts 9 11, what did they say about him? Behold, he prays. David also tells us in verse 6, if we are sincere and abundant in prayer, we will find the benefit of it when we're in trouble. For he said, surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. You know something? We should thank God for praying people. People who pray all the time and not just in times of distress. But really, we should all be praying people. You know, if I said who is honest enough this morning to say they don't pray enough, I would expect every hand in the building to go up because mine's is up there too. In fact, I put my two hands up. Lord, by your spirit, bring us to our knees. Let us pray. There's a lot to pray for, church. I'm not going to sidestep here. Our land, what's going on in our land, the young people coming through, many things to pray for. But most of all, we should be praying and thanking God for our salvation and praying for those that know him not as Savior. David confesses to God his confidence in him and his expectations from him. It says, you are my hiding place. You know, Jesus is our hiding place. He is that strong and that mighty tower. He is that refuge in times of trouble. His everlasting arms are always round about and underneath his chosen covering us like a mother eagle would cover with her wings, her, her, her young ones. God preserves us in times of trouble. Nothing has overtaken us, nor would Jesus allow it to when we trust in him. He will supply for us a way out. He will supply for us a solution. He will supply for us deliverance. And it's, we need to accept that maybe not be the solution that we want. Maybe not be the solution that we want. When Jesus pardons our sins, he just doesn't pardon our sins and leave us. He is with us. 
You know something? If Jesus just saved us and went away and left us, we'd be even further in debt because we would just right back to where we were. But like the good shepherd that he is, he looks after his flock. I have a shepherd, one I love so well. How he has blessed me, tongue can never tell. Don't worry, I'm not going to bring in the song. Thank God we have a shepherd. As everyone that is godly shall pray, so shall they give thanks. David said, Thou shalt come pass me about with songs of deliverance. And it's in all the Psalms, David uses the parallelism. And he now speaks of the ungodly in verse 8. He says, being con- or he doesn't say, but being converted, he now does what he can to teach others about the Lord. He wants to instruct the unbeliever and guide them in the way that they should go. You know, it's said that the greatest evangelist is a new convert, and that's so true. Because I remember when I was first saved, I couldn't wait to tell people. But we need that zeal to continue with us as we go on with the Lord. To instruct the unbelievers, to guide them to the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. The unsaved will ask you, why do you pester me about a need for a savior? Well, the Lord has opened our eyes. The eyes of Satan is once blinded. And we can see that not only are all men sinners, but we can see the consequences of remaining in our sins. Sin is like cancer to the body. And you know, if you had a cure for cancer, you wouldn't keep it to yourself. You would tell everyone. But we have a cure for the man's greatest enemy, sin. And that cure is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as a Christian, we say to people, I give you Jesus, who will stop sin destroying your life and will grant you eternal life. Accept him with an open arms and a glad, glad heart. He said, be not as a mule or horse which have no understanding. A commentator said, it's man's honor and happiness that he has understanding, that he is capable of being governed by reason and of reasoning with others. We should use this ability, think it out logically, and think it out for ourselves. Reason with God with an open heart and an open mind, and he will reveal himself to you and show you his love. You know, we're so easily led as sinners, so easily led down that road to destruction, so easily to follow the crowd, so easy. Many times in my life, I've followed the crowd. But you know, we are to step aside and walk the path that Jesus has for us. Those that go on these paths are just bringing themselves to destruction. You see, you don't need to be led or guided by worldly excuses, human logic, and reasoning. Because when there is renewing grace, there is peace which passes all understanding. There is a heart which is concerned for the souls of men. There is a heart that wants to glorify and exalt the Lord. And that's God's people who want to bring honor and glory unto him because we know that he has taken our sins. And even better, we know that he has covered us with his righteousness. He's worthy of our praise this morning, isn't he? He's worthy of all glory this morning. And we just want to exalt his name as a praise team come back in our closing worship. And let's show him our appreciation for all that he's done in our lives. And let's ask him by his spirit just to speak to us that we may learn from his word. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path.
And without God's word, this world would be lost. And so let's just stand. Let's bring glory and honor to the Lord this morning as we lift up and as we exalt his precious name.